Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone, and happy President's Day. doesn't matter that our current president sucks because there were some past ones that were pretty good. And today I'm excited to share with you guys a part of my powerful interview with Brittany De La Mora. She was a former porn star who decided to quit the industry overnight and dedicate her life to God. In this interview, you'll hear all about the dark side of the porn industry and the real reasons why porn addiction is so harmful to everybody involved. Take a listen. For this month's Taboo interview, I sat down with Brittany De La Mora. In 2005, at the tender age of 18, Britney entered the adult film industry. Five years later, she was named by Maxim as one of the top 12 female porn stars. By 2011, Complex ranked her 17 on its list of the top 100 hottest porn stars. But during this time, she saw the dark side of the industry. She became suicidal and addicted to drugs, while seeing many of her co-workers lose their lives to suicide and drug abuse. But after a divine series of events, Brittany made the dramatic decision to leave the industry overnight. Today, she's a wife, mother, pastor, evangelist, author, and passionate advocate for women involved in the sex industry. Brittany, along with her husband Richard, runs Love Always Ministries, a place where the two create online courses, podcasts, and workshops to help people live on purpose by discovering God's love and leading a life of purity. All right, welcome to another installment of Taboo. Today, we're gonna talk about a real taboo, pornography. When was your first introduction to it? I think mine was probably in the classroom, believe it or not, being told that watching a little bit of porn is healthy, learning from the mainstream media that pornography can be healthy to consume on your own time. This, of course, is a part of the sexual liberation movement. We were supposed to believe that more sex translated into more freedom. But freedom for whom? I have since completely transformed my viewpoints on porn after learning the truth about the industry, how it operates, and the people that are harmed within it and without it. Lots of men talking about their pornography addiction and how it's ruined their lives. Women within the industry being treated poorly and men discussing how that industry exactly works. And then there's the element of human sex trafficking and the sex trafficking that occurs because of the demand for pornography. And so I'm very honored today to be joined by Brittany De La Mora, who knows this industry better than anyone else. I just want to start here by commending you for having the courage to speak about this, yes. this very taboo topic. Thank when you. you're a porn star, you're not ever supposed to talk about it. You're supposed to try to hide that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yet you're sitting here in front of me. So I know. thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Let's start at the very beginning. 
I don't think people ever think about this when they're consuming porn. Mm -hmm. How does somebody get involved in this industry? Where did your life begin? So, I mean, just starting from like my upbringing, it was just a very verbally, emotionally abusive household. And so I was kind of just looking for love in all the wrong places. Started dating different guys, thinking I was finding love, lose my virginity to a guy. He cheats on me with three girls. Um, and after that happened, I was just devastated. And some of my friends were like, let's go to Mexico because we lived so close to the border when I was growing up that you could get into any club with a valid high school ID. Well, my first time getting drunk was in that club. I go outside to get some food and I see this other club and it happens to be a strip club, but I didn't know it was a strip club. I just recognize the name from some of the guys in my high school class saying, the women at that club are so beautiful and da da da. And I'm like, so I was curious. So I go up and they weren't going to let me in. And I'm like, oh, I just want to dance. The moment I said that, they were like, oh, you want to dance? Let's go. They brought me in. There was like a, it was a strip club. There's a stairs. There's like three women standing on the stairway waiting to go on stage. They put me right behind them and they said, go ahead and dance. I was drunk, I had liquid courage, 16 years old, blonde hair, braces, looked like a little girl, and that night I took my top off for money. But a seed was planted in me because people were praising me in that club, like, you're beautiful, we love you, men and women alike. And I just thought like, oh, this is what love feels like because I I had such a void, I was starving for affirmation. Um, And I found it in that strip club that night. And then fast forward to college, I start dancing again. A couple producers came in uh, one night and said, you're beautiful. We love you. You're destined to be a star. We make romance movies. If you're ever interested, give us a call. So it starts with you just looking for a little bit of validation. You're drunk. You're out with your girlfriends in Mexico. And you liked the attention that you got. So you said, okay, I can can keep dipping back in and getting that validation. When you started to dance, just to slow that down, were you going back to that club in Mexico or were you doing this now in America? In America, I'd actually moved to Santa Barbara for college for a little bit. And so I was working at the only club there. Okay, so you're just like, I can make money. Yeah. People think I'm beautiful and I'm getting all of this validation. Yeah, it was Yeah, it was like a little, I, a little bit of loneliness hit me um, and I was working as a telemarketer and it was just, honestly, it was stressful. Going to college, working full-time, it, it was stressful. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, well, I can just go dance on, you know, a few nights a week and I was making like 2,500 bucks a night um, and I was getting affirmed, which is really, you know, what I was looking for in life. And what's interesting is that when these couple of directors, producers approach you, they describe themselves as in the romance business. They're right? making romance films. Exactly. So what happens next? So they said, if you're ever in L.A., give us a call. I happen to have a doctor's appointment in L.A. the next day. So I thought, oh, well, this must be fate. Let me give them a call. I called them, uh, and they told me to meet them on set. It was just like some mansion somewhere in Beverly Hills. So I get there. Um, I had never—I had seen one hardcore porn scene, and it, like, I was repulsed by it. I was, like, 13 when I saw it. I'm like, I never want to see that again. So they're like, come on. You want to see how porn shot? So they take me upstairs. A girl's doing a scene— they have me masturbate to it. I'm so nervous. I've never even masturbated at this point. I'm just like, I don't even know what any of this is. And um, I'm just kind of going along, but really not turned on, kind of grossed out, but feeling pressured because everyone was there. Uh, And then they said, you know what? Let's just put you in hair and makeup, take your photos. They never paid me for that, by the way. And then they sent me to an agency that day. um, And I just, I signed up and, and I was in the industry for seven years. 
So how old were you when you signed up? 18. Okay. And so now this is how you're going to launch your career as a porn actress. They get you out there. And what is, it's so daunting, right? You go from never consuming too much porn. You said that you watched one hardcore flick. You don't really know what you're doing. They bring you into this house and you're just sort of on this journey very quickly. So when was the first time that you acted yourself in a in a pornography film? So it was, uh, well, probably within a few days after signing up with the agency, I had to go get an STD, an AIDS test. And then from there, they sent me to San Francisco for a reality porn scene. And that, I'm assuming, must have been terrifying. It was. They had us go around to UC Berkeley asking guys if we could give them a handjob. It was mortifying. So that's what a reality scene is. Yeah. So you have somebody that is following you with a camera. Yeah. And you are going up to people that are unsuspecting and asking if you can give them a handjob. Exactly. My goodness. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even believe I, I can't even believe this is an area I know. of porn. And it actually is reality. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah. So how did you feel after that was over? I was honestly embarrassed, but they had me with two other women who had been in the industry for a little while and they were just like encouraging me and uh, one guy ended up saying, yes, I didn't even know how to give a handjob. I, I didn't know anything. I was very naive getting into the industry. So they just kind of taught me the things and what to do. And then after that, they brought in another guy who it was his first sex scene, but he did have a test because to have sex, you're supposed to have a test. The handjob, they overlook that. Um, but we, they brought a, a new performer, uh, took us up to some mountains somewhere in San Francisco. And then that was like the actual first scene. Wow. So one thing that's interesting is that you said for the first thing that you did for this reality clip, they had other girls that were encouraging you. So this probably felt to you a bit like a sorority, uh, yeah. a bit of a sisterhood. Like, it's, oh, it's going to be fine. I know that you're new here, but this is okay. Yeah. And you feel a little bit of safety yeah. before they kind of send you out onto your own into a big house to, to do your first scene. Before that, um, the whole goal of this was to find the best marijuana in California. So mind you, we were also getting very high before the scene. I had I wasn't a pot smoker either. So all of this was like the first day we actually had to cancel because I passed out for like eight hours because I'd never eaten a pot brownie. So like they were getting a super stone before going out and doing these things too. So And they're also finding you at a very daring time in your life. And I always tell people to remember that baby girls aren't going into the pornography mm-hmm. industry, but people that are on college campuses are binge drinking. Young girls are binge drinking. They're going out together. We're pre-gaming yeah. um, and acting a fool at bars. So exactly. this is kind of another step right. into that territory where they say, you're going to do, do this on camera. And girls, of course, in on college campuses, when they binge drink, are multiple partners. They're going home with guys and they're sleeping yeah. with them. And so you like to think that it's so separate. This is sort of the same thing, but you're doing it on camera. Exactly. So you're at the same age and you're doing this all on camera. And the plus side is you're going to make money. Yeah. Right? Right. How much money was offered to you (laughs) to do this? Uh, So starting out to have sex with a male, it was $900. Wow. Not much at all. Nothing. I know. Nine hundred. I mean, maybe it sounds like more at the strip club. So, (laughs) right? Maybe it sounds like a lot of money to someone who's eighteen and struggling to pay their bills. But that's not a lot of money at all. No, it's not. Wow. So, what? Why did you make the decision to leave the strip club when you were like, okay, well, here's nine hundred bucks? What made you gravitate towards wanting to go into the industry? Honestly, I think it was the acceptance and the validation. So when I met with the agency, um, they said, oh, you can come and stay with us here at the model house. So there were other women there. There was the agent who lived there. Um, we went out to dinner on Sundays, and it kind of felt so like— already. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So they really brought you into 
And that's what you're really searching for. I think any young woman is, is searching for a sense of belonging right. in that, during that time. It's a, it's a very troublesome years, I think, for a young woman. And I spoke about my own journey, totally different um, from what you were involved in. But it's it's also sort of the same in terms of just looking for some somebody to say that it's going to be okay. Right. And finally, you find it and yep. it thwarts you into this industry. Mm-hmm. So you do your first scene. You told me that they're looking for pot, they're taking pot brownies. When you did that first scene solo, mm-hmm. were you sober? Uh, I believe we had smoked a little bit of weed. Okay. Um, so I think I had that going for me. And then after you were done with it, what what was your sense? What was your feeling? I felt like I had jumped into the wrong industry. Part of the reason I went in, I remember seeing something on like the E! True Hollywood story with one of the most famous porn stars, and it was really glamorized. Like, that's what they put out to the media, right? It's glamorous. These women are living their best lives, making all this money and driving the nicest car, all these things. And I get there, and it's like they have me wear basically no makeup. I mean, they're really playing into the fact that I'm 18. And then I was just really naive, very nervous. I felt like I kind of made a mistake with my life, but I'm like, I'm going to just kind of keep going. So fast forward a little bit, uh, all I'm getting booked for is pigtails and schoolgirl uniform scenes being paired with old men. And I'm thinking like, yeah, this is not the glamorous industry that, that was portrayed on the media. So that to me is incredibly interesting because we've been discussing pornography on my podcast mm-hmm. and basically saying how it seeds perverse ideas. Yeah. Uh, now it's sort of been seeding this idea that incest is okay, mm. the trans agenda mm. is okay, all of these yeah. things that we're contending with and we don't know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And then when you examine what the top trends are yes. on Pornhub, you find that, oh wait, people are being told and they're forcing these trends and telling them, and I've been saying this forever, that what's going to come down the line is people are going to be trying to normalize incest because it's the number one or number two most most searched for term, and it's what they offer to people, right, when you come onto the website, Absolutely. incest scenes. Mm-hmm. Now, if we are talking about when you were in the industry, what you're saying is that there was an, a lot of this sort of, almost a promotion for pedophilia, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Why would they put you into pigtails? Why were they trying to play up how how young you were? Yeah, and they'd put you in, like, attire that I would put my three-year-old daughter in, you know, the the plastic jewelry, the bright colors, you know, teddy bears all over. It's it's sickening. I actually, I wasn't really a woman of conviction back then. I've since evolved a lot, thank God. But back then, that was the one thing. I had a meeting with my agent and I said, hey, no more pigtail, no more more schoolgirl outfits. Like, I can't do this anymore. And I told him, do you realize this is encouraging pedophilia? Of course, pedophiles are going, how can I legally consume what I want to consume. And they're going, okay, rather than uh, going after a girl that's underage, I'm going to find an actress that's playing the part of somebody that's underage. But what happens when that doesn't fill you anymore? Because porn is just like a drug. The endorphins that it releases, and eventually it's not going to release enough endorphins. I watched a documentary recently um, from my dear friends over at Exodus Cry, Raised on Porn. And there was a guy that had ended up, he was watching those scenes, moved to the dark web. By the time um, they he was arrested and all that, he had 6,000 scenes from the dark web, young children. Wow. And so it's, it's a gateway. It 100% is a and, gateway. And even 
you recognized that something was very wrong early on with the fact yeah. that they wanted you to play up yeah. how or, or to play down yeah. your age, rather. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you go to your agent and you say, I'm not comfortable with these scenes anymore, these pigtails, I'm wearing plastic, bright colors. What did your agent say back to you? He said, you won't get as much work. And I said, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, I even went and got like tattoos on my, you know, body because I was trying to look older just in case they would book me for scenes where it was like, you know, where they wanted the young girl and the old man kind of thing. Um yeah, he just told me I wasn't going to get enough work, so I did my part in, you know, tattooing my body, trying to make myself look a little older. Did they pay more? No. Nope. No. No. I didn't start making more money um, until about a year in, I believe. I left, and my rate still was only, I, I want to say, $1,500 for to be with a man. Okay, so let's talk about the economics. How does someone make more money in pornography? Escorting. You do escorting on the side. Mm-hmm. This is something that I was not aware of. So how, how does that work? So, I mean, with my agency, they were teamed up with another agency that represented um, escorts. And so they would go and post ads. I was telling you with Eros, eros.com. Um, and there's all these ads of different women in all the different cities, New York, LA, San Diego, all over. Uh, and men can go on there and they call the number for the escort that they want to see. Escorting pays a lot more than uh, than porn. I mean, for my hourly rate for escorting, it was $2,500, $10,000 for an overnight. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's and I a mean, lot you're of seeing money. celebrities, football players, baseball players, uh, the Prince of Saudi Arabia. I never went there, but I've heard of other women. And I so mean, that's what they're doing. That's how they're making more money right. and able to sustain this. Yeah. And so how does that work? Uh, well, you establish your name. How is it legal, I guess, yeah, is my first question. It's not legal. Okay. Uh, the, the escorting agency that I was originally with got shut down. Um, they're not around anymore. And so it's not legal. I don't know how the website is still up. I really don't. I looked at it the other day to see if it's still there. It's still there. I left porn 10 years ago. It's it it just there. seems quite dangerous. I mean, how do you, how do you, how are they able to confirm mm-hmm. that that person who is now graduated from watching the pornography for wanting to experience the pornography is not going to harm these girls? I mean, if they're not paying $2,500 and something could go awry. Yeah. So there's like a screening process. You get their name, you have them send uh, their identification card over. Um, you ask them where they work and you ask for proof of the income. So for that type, I I had a pimp the last three years uh, that I was in the business and things were done totally differently. Like that was a a far more dangerous. He would have me on back page, which was like low end. I mean, you're in a hotel having sex with like 10, 15 people. It's really, really dark and there's no screening. It's very scary. Um, with the other escorting though, I actually, like with the higher end escorting, while I was in the business, I actually had preferred that because, um, you kind of set your own standard where everything was safer. Like I would make sure they had condoms and and all of that, no kissing, none of that. But in the porn industry, like you don't have that say, like you either do it their way or you don't do it at all. So I have spoken to people that have been in the porn industry before. And one thing that they pointed to me which I just think that if people know this, I don't see how any person in good conscience could consume porn, is how high the suicide rates are for women in the industry. Yeah. 
and how drugged a lot of these women are to give themselves the confidence to be able to do what they are doing yeah. and how drugged they are after they do these scenes mm -hmm. to be able to try to numb the pain of realizing what they have just done or what they have contributed to. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, so in 2018, there was like back to back to back suicides. I mean, it was every month. I think there it was like five or six months in a row, somebody was dying. I have probably 15 friends that have died to either suicide or drug overdose. I just lost somebody that I was very close to last year. Um, it's a very, there's a very high death rate in the porn industry. Um, and as far as drugs, I mean, I was one of those drug addicts. I had left the industry at one point at my three and a half year mark because I was withdrawing from heroin. Wow. Um, and that's when I ended up meeting a pimp and he got me back into the industry for another three so talk about when you became a drug addict. So you're in the industry for three years. You yeah. left because of your addiction. Mm -hmm. When was the first time that you did heroin and, yeah. and what gave you that impulse? Okay, so, well, heroin, I mean, there were other drugs that led up to that. So uh, I was on set. I was new in the entertainment or in the adult industry. And I had, I was, I'm 105 pounds, five foot one inch. I'm, I'm not overweight, but a director tells me, you're fat, you need to lose weight. And in high school, although I'd never like been a pot smoker, I did try Coke a few times. And so I knew that it would make me not eat. So I asked one of the models like, hey, I mean, apparently I'm fat and I need to lose weight. Like, is there, you know, do you have access to like any cocaine? And she was like, you know, very suspicious as to why I was asking her. I'm like, no, I, I really do just want to buy cocaine. And so she ended up getting me some. Um, and then from there, I just kind of got hooked and I started using it every day. Uh, and then I started dating a guy that introduced me to the Norcos, um, which are like Vicodin there uh, for pain, pain medication. From there, it went to Oxycontins. And then from Oxycontin, there was a girl that I was buying Oxycontins from that said, have you ever chased the dragon? And I'm like, what does that mean? And I thought she was talking about something in porn. And she's like, come over and I'll show you. So I hung out with her and she pulled out this piece of foil, put a piece of black tar with like, it was like a plastic, you know, the, where you put your tampons in? Yeah. It was like a plastic from an that. Applicator. Mm -hmm. An applicator. Thank you. And she just started smoking heroin in front of me. And she's like, it's better than Oxy. So I tried it um, and used that for many months before I decided that, you know what, like I can't take this anymore. I had called my grandma and told her, hey, if you don't come get me, I honestly think I'm going to commit suicide because I can't take this life anymore. Wow. Wow. So you became a heroin abuser, started with Oxycontin, cocaine, mm -hmm. and then it leads to something, needing something stronger and yeah. stronger and stronger. Now, were you taking these drugs before scenes, after scenes, between, you know, between scenes? I, I lived on drugs because mm -hmm. uh, what happens when you become addicted is your body goes through intense withdrawals. Mm -hmm. So if you don't feed it what it needs, you, you're going to lose control of your bowels, your legs, everything's going to hurt. You're going to be in intense pain. Like, far worse than the flu. Like you just feel awful. So I, I mean, I was on them every day when I was down to like my last 10 to 15 pills. I'm like, I need to call the dealer because if they don't have them, I need to figure it out. Like, I mean, it was a vicious cycle of like, I'd get paid from porn, but then I'd have to go and chase the drug dealer. Like I, my net worth said, was said to be like, I don't know, $3.4 million by the time I left the business. I left that industry with my last paycheck, $1,500. You're it. making money and then you're spending the money to get drugs. Yeah. Wow. 
And I do, I only know one person personally that's ever been addicted to heroin, uh, what I've known from way back, mm -hmm. from middle school. And I remember seeing her, uh, she got clean. And when she described to me in detail what the withdrawals were, yeah. like to get off of heroin, she just said it, it was like dying. Yeah, That is just, it's like dying. Every yeah. piece of your body is just, you know, she, and she was, you know, in the hospital. And she said, there's not, you can't even describe that yeah. sort of pain. It's awful. And yet you were willing to go through that pain. You call your grandmother and you say, come get me. And did yeah. she come get you? She did. She drove up to Los Angeles, moved me in with her, um, into her home in San Diego. And um, I mean, I did get help from a doctor. I went to a doctor, got on what was called Suboxone to kind of help alleviate the withdrawal a little bit, but it was still pretty bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you call your mother or your father? You know what? I, at that time, had a very, very hindered relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. um, she and I have a great relationship now but she was the cause of a lot of um, the voids that, that I had in life, you know? Okay, okay, mm -hmm. so your grandmother comes to the rescue. Mm -hmm. And how long did you spend with her? Uh, I was with her for maybe three to five months before I met a guy that I started dating. He was in a motorcycle gang. Uh, I had moved in with him. He got stabbed to death in front of me. And then from there, uh, I had nowhere to live. And the pimp, which was his friend, comes and kind of is like, oh, well, I'll put you in a hotel for a few days. And he's giving me meth. And, you know, because at this point I started using crystal meth. Um, so and did you get clean while you were with your grandmother? I or did. Sort of... Yeah, but it was a very short stint of mm -hmm. being clean. Like, it, it didn't last long, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you fell right back in. Mm -hmm. You watch your ex-boyfriend get stabbed to death. Mm -hmm. His friend, he's the pimp, says, hey, I'll, I'll take care of you. You need some more place to stay. And now he's supplying you with drugs, yep. methamphetamine. Yes. Totally different drug from heroin. Totally different, yeah. This one gets you wired. So uh, I start hearing voices. So he ends up taking me to a mental institution. I get clean there for a few days. And then he brings me to his apartment. Um, he was actually a believer, a backslidden believer. So he introduces me to the Bible and takes me and gets me baptized. Um, this is the same person that gave you the pimp. meth. Mm -hmm. And he is a pimp. Yes. But he's also a believer. And after you go into a mental institution, he says, actually, by the way, I forgot to mention that aside, yeah. aside from being a pimp mm -hmm. and aside from supplying you with drugs, I also am a believer. Yeah, because he was a meth addict at one point and found God and that's how God healed him. But then he ended up going into this line of work, if you want to call it that. I'm not sure how God yeah. healed him, but he's also well, yeah, you're right. methamphetamine. <laughs> he sounds like a conflicted yeah. Christian. Very much so. Which Very is, much so. you know, it's... That's not to make fun of him. It's just yeah. to point to the fact no, it's that, true. you know, yeah. he clearly was still it's true. struggling himself. But so after still, I get he clean, tells you about Christ. Yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah. So after I get um, clean and I kind of have like just a new, almost like a new attitude because I'm reading the Bible every day, but I don't really understand it. He starts to explain to me that, um, you know, Jesus loves prostitutes because of Mary Magdalene and very twisting, twisting the scriptures. And then from there, He's like, you know, I just think it's time. I think that it's time for you to get back into the porn industry. And, you know, and I'm just like, like I knew that he was a pimp, but he, because men were my weakness and I was, I had grown attracted to him at that point. And I thought like, oh no, like he even gave me a ring, proposed to me, all of this. So I'm thinking like, I thought we were in love. Like I was very naive. Like, why would you put me back into, you know, I don't know. I let him take advantage of me. I didn't know. I was vulnerable at that time in my life. And how old were you at this time? Uh, 21. So young. Yeah. So young. 
Yep. All of this has happened. You've mm-hmm. seen a lot of life up until this point. Absolutely. And now you think you're in love. And yeah. he says, you know, Jesus loved prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time for you to go back to the porn industry. Exactly. And you... I go back. You went back. I, go back. I told him, I said, you know, me thinking that we're in love. Like, hey, if, uh, if I go back to the industry, we're not going to last. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to be together forever. So three years later... <laughs> You know, I had an encounter. I, I actually had an encounter with God, and I just felt like, you know what? I need to leave this guy. And so he'd been taking all my money for three years, but I prepared myself. I stashed money um, from an overnight escorting gig that I did in, I think it was in Miami. And uh, he found out about the money that I stashed, took it. I was crazy, called 911, threatened to turn him in, and he gave me the money, and I ended up getting away from him. And that time, it was actually with the help of my mom. Really? Mm-hmm. So did you did you call her in I did. A, a desperate moment? In a desperate moment, yeah. And, and what did what did you me. say to her? I told her, "Mom, I need to get away from this guy." I said, uh, "He's no good for me. I'm sure you know that." And I honestly, I really need your help. Wow. And what did she do? She showed up. She lived about 15 minutes away, and she was there for me. Okay. Yeah. And so you were able to get that money back from him? Yes. Okay. So that I could get my own apartment and a car at that point, and. It must have been a lot of money. Yeah. He was taking all of it. Well, I mean, he took all my money for three years. Yeah. So I think I want to say I stashed around $10,000. I got a little $5,000 car from Craigslist and was able to get an apartment. And I had no money and I was going to go back to what I knew. So um, I went and filmed my last porn scene before I had yet another God encounter. Tell me about your encounter with God when you say that. This was such a fascinating discussion, but the interview is not over. In fact, the best part is still ahead. In the next portion, Brittany talks about her encounter with God, how she left the porn industry overnight, and where she is today. But it's only available on Daily Wire Plus, so go ahead and click the link in the description and subscribe right now. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Scramble through our world-class golf courses or shop your way through the square. Be one with nature as you hike or bike through our parks and trails or hunker down at one of our breweries. And when it's time to eat, be sure to bite into our eclectic food scene. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace.